0: Hi, I am Luciano Vecchio, a comic book artist, and you're listening to The Nerd by
1: gentlemen welcome into yet another episode of the nerd by word podcast we have a special episode for you um we have a sit-down interview with uh luciano vecchio uh comic artist you've seen his work in marvel comics you've seen him in dc comics he also has a creator-owned graphic novel um, that is available on comicology called sereno uh, but first we've got to hit our nerd news segment as always dave what do you have for us this week
2: uh, this week, I am fired up. I am about as fired up as I've probably ever been on this podcast. So Jason Schreier...
1: Of Angry German!
2: Oh, you, you got something coming today. Jason Schreier, formerly of <laughs> Kotaku and now a member of the staff at Bloomberg, uh, recently wrote an article about French video game developer uh, Ubisoft. Uh, In the article, several former employees accused the developer of mishandling sexual misconduct claims within the company. Uh, There's a lot to unpack in this article, which easily could lead to an episode-long discussion. Instead, I want to focus on a much smaller part of the overall story. On Twitter, Schreier revealed, and I quote, The developers of Assassin's Creed Odyssey wanted Cassandra to be the only playable lead but Ubisoft's marketing team and creative lead wouldn't allow it. Women, they said, don't sell. First off, some of my favorite games of this generation had female leads, including Horizon Zero Dawn, the rebooted Tomb Raider games, and Control. What I found particularly enjoyable about these female leads is that they were not sexualized like so many other video game characters are. They were fully realized characters, not designed for the male gaze. They're simply awesome characters. Ubisoft's approach to make uh, making and marketing video games makes no sense to me. Ubisoft seems to operate under the assumption that most video game players are males which is barely true anymore. According to Statista.com, 46 percent of all gamers in 2019 were female. Second, Ubisoft seems to believe that males only want to play games using male avatars, and that's nonsense, too. I don't care if my playable character in a game is male, female, gender-neutral, or a robot. I just want an interesting story and fun game mechanics. So I find this whole thing to be infuriating. In this day and age, these attitudes are absolutely 100% tone-deaf. Chris, what do you think about this?
1: Uh, uh, I'm infuriated as well I match uh, both of our German ire is coming out today Um, that's exactly what I said Lara Croft would like a word if female characters don't sell um evie fry from assassin's creed syndicate this this really irks me because assassin's creed is one of my favorite game franchises like it's one of the few that i will spend money on as soon as it comes out it's the one of the few things i'm ready to pre-order um it's assassin's creed valhalla it's one of the few things as a history nerd um Historical fiction is one of my favorite literary genres. I'm all about the Three Musketeers. I'm all about the con of Monte Cristo. You can you can always get me. You can always hook me with historical fiction. But now I'm, I'm revisiting this. Um, now I hope they change in the future because I would like to continue enjoying these franchises. But it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, like, here's here's the hit list of... I, I looked on thegamer.com for, like... They had a top 20 of, like... Um, female protagonists, and these are just some of the ones that just roll off the top of you know my head. Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. Evie Fry from Assassin's Creed Syndicate was one of the strengths of that game. The Resident Evil, uh, the Resident Evil franchise, and and the films as well have a female protagonist. Cassandra from Assassin's Creed Odyssey. For my my fellow Assassin's Creed fans. 70 to 80% of people chose Cassandra at the beginning of the game. You choose if you want to be her brother Alexios or Cassandra herself. 70 to 80% in a poll that I saw online chose Cassandra. 70 to 80%. But female characters don't sell. You also had the option throughout the the storyline for both Cassandra and Alexios um, where you could make your character be uh, LGBTQ. Um, Samus. Of, of the Metroid series. And, and if you're a Super Smash Bros. fan. You know all about Samus. Is a female protagonist. The Alien franchise. Horizon Zero Dawn as you mentioned. So you're telling me that female characters don't sell. But these are some of the biggest franchises. In video games that I just listed off. And they're all led. By a female protagonist. And I think this is part. Uh, from what I read in, in, in the article. It's part of a larger toxic culture issue at Ubisoft. Um. One female employee said, quote, it's basically a frat house. Um, Serge Ascoet, a longtime family friend of the CCO, was one of the several that was ousted this month, earlier this month, from Ubisoft. Um, And I also feel like video games at large is still, unfortunately, a boys club. But crap like this keeps us in the Stone Age. When you have things like Gamersgate, and, and we'll get into this, I think, in one of our future episodes about toxic fandoms it's such a toxic thing and it, and it's all about for me one of my one of one of my guiding ethos as a human as an individual is accountability and when you have a company like this that's been operating since i believe 1998 as five brothers of the same family um and they were the gold standard that could do no wrong and it, and it's just business as usual every single time something like come this comes up if if a woman at the company uh, proposes something and they are shot down immediately, I mean, this is this is uh, a microcosm, uh, a smaller view of what corporate America, unfortunately, is still like in 2020. It's accountability. And I'm, I'm so glad that the Me Too movement, you know, took place within the last year or two and that things are being brought to the forefront. People are being held accountable. I always liken it to an infection or an illness or a malady. If I have an infection, and I just say, oh, it's business as usual, I'll be fine. I have a medical condition, and I don't go to the doctor. I don't have it treated. It festers, and it gets worse, and it gets gangrenous, and you start losing limbs. This needs to be diagnosed for what it is so you can treat it appropriately, and so you can change your frame of reference. You can change your point of view, and you can progress into the future, and you can have a healthier ethos in the workplace and And uh, this is just one of those hotbed issues for me. Um, and for me, like you said, it always goes back to this seems to be a trend on our recent episodes. Just tell a good story. If it's male female protagonist, if it's gender fluid, if it's a an Android, if it's a C3PO and R2D2 buddy cop, you know team up, it doesn't matter. Just tell a good story. So yeah. Um, this, this is crushing for me as, as a fan of Ubisoft's content, especially with like Assassin's Creed and, um, the Tom Clancy, the division games are also on under that, um, moniker. So this is, this is infuriating to me as a fan and they may lose my business if they don't clean house and take care of business.
2: I shudder to think what would have happened if somebody at, uh, Guerrilla Games or at, um, Sony, would have said that uh, when Horizon Zero Dawn was in development. I'm reaching the end of that game, and I know I'm late to the party on this, but um, voice actress Ashley Birch's performance in this is incredible and, and completely helps to sell the character of Aloy and brings her to life. And it's just an absolutely fantastic game. And for somebody to then stand up and say, oh, no, you can't have a female protagonist. That game won't sell that way is, is incredibly disappointing. Chris, what is your big nerd news story for this week?
1: So, the release date for Christopher Nolan's Tenet film has been delayed indefinitely. Um, I'm reading a Variety article here by Julia Alexander. Uh, The original release date for Nolan's film, uh, starring John David Washington and Robert Pattinson, was July the 17th. Of course, that was delayed with the global pandemic of COVID-19. It was pushed back initially to July the 31st. Then it was pushed back again to August the 12th. And now it has been delayed indefinitely. I'm quoting Warner Brothers chairman Toby Emmerich here uh, from his statement to Variety. Quote, We will share a new 2020 release date imminently for Tenet, Christopher Nolan's wholly original and mind blowing feature. Um, and this is just a really troubling thing for me um, as a consumer of film content. Um, in contrast, Disney Plus released Hamilton... Um, directly to the streaming service. And Disney CEO Bob Chapek said, quote, it brought a lot of new people to the streaming service, end quote. Um, and I'm quoting again here from Julia Alexander's part of the article. So why wouldn't Warner Brothers move Tenet to a hundred percent digital release? Like everything in life, money. Christopher Nolan movies perform exceedingly well at the box office and Tenet is the type of film that could have crossed a a billion dollars easily in non-pandemic times. Warner Brothers still clearly thinks that Tenet can produce a high source of revenue for the studio and executives keep Nolan, a staunch believer in the theatrical experience, happy. End quote. Uh, And I think we talked about this off air and, and that, um, your feeling was that that Nolan himself is a purist when it comes to my film should be seen in the theater and i'm a fan of his work batman begins and the dark knight um were great films dark knight rises not so much uh, inception was one of my favorite films all time i saw it 4 times in theaters um still don't understand it to this day completely um but this is one of those films that i was really looking forward to um you know, I, I'm a big fan of John David Washington's work. Um, his performance in, in Black Klansmen um, is, is just fantastic. I can't say enough about it. Apparently, it's in the genetics for the Washington family. Um, he, he got it honestly from his father, Denzel. Um, so, this is extremely disappointing. Um, I'm also interested to see, you know, some more work from Robert Pattinson as we prepare for the Batman film. Uh, the Matt Reeves film that's coming up. So I was interested to see um, him in a more serious role that was not um, teeny bopper vampire nonsense. So um, it's, it's highly disappointing. And maybe just me not being the purest um, when it comes to the theatrical experience, um, being the head of a household for a large family, I have to pick and choose when I'm going to go to the movies um, also being the head of a large household in a pandemic, I'm not going to the movie theaters, I'm sorry to tell you. So I guess in the same era of how we fixed the Star Wars prequels recently, here's me fixing this problem. Here's my proposition. Why in the world would you not just do a 20 or $25 rental fee for like a 24-hour or 48-hour period um, and and some, some films, they did this. Um, you know, the Trolls film, I think they did like $20. And even a step further, if you want um, the same type of revenue or something close like that, that you would get in, in you know, box office release do it for 20 to $25 and you only get 24 hours to watch it. So if somebody watches it and they want to watch it again, they got to pay another 20 to 25 bucks and you can still generate revenue in that way. This whole thing where like um, it has to be in the theater, you have to experience this in IMAX or you have to experience this in a, uh, an actual movie theater. We don't have those luxuries nowadays. We, in the, in the day and time and the, and the world that we live in, we have a global pandemic with no vaccine on the horizon, a theatrical release is just not reasonable at this point. So I, I'm, at, I'm at a loss for words. Make it 20 20, uh, 20 to 25 bucks for uh, an at-home release. You only get 24 hours to watch it. And if you want to watch it again, you have to pay again. And you still get a bunch of money. I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority here. Dave, what do you think?
2: So I will say that I actually really, truly do enjoy the theatrical experience. And I've even made it a habit uh, to go to uh, theaters when they have revivals of older movies. It was an incredible pleasure several years ago for me to be able to watch... Uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street on the big screen, the original uh, Friday the 13th on the big screen, and even the original Evil Dead on the big screen uh, during Halloween time. absolutely adore the communal experience. However, that being said, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, that that's just not realistic. Now, Nolan has said in the past in interviews that he finds his movies best watched in theaters. He's a big fan of this experience, too. Um... But I think we just need a reality check at this point. COVID-19 isn't going anywhere the way it seems. Even a highly effective vaccine is, based on news reports, not going to be available until earliest, uh, early 2021. So instead of hiding the movie away, hoping for a global pandemic to go away, it should be out there. I agree with you. Um, Take it directly to the consumer. Bypass the middleman. Uh, My 65-inch 4K TV will display this movie just fine. Uh, I do wish that this movie and several other movies would simply release as video on demand. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984 comes to mind, which I am so desperate to see after how amazing the first Wonder Woman was, it's not even funny. But here we sit, and we're waiting uh, for a resolution to a problem that may be quite a while away.
1: Yeah, I feel the same thing with the MCU releases. We've had um, you know, Black Widow pushed back to November and then you have WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier being pushed back. From my just from my perspective, I'm thinking probably because chronologically Black Widow logically needs to take place first and therefore they're delaying those series. So that's just my thinking. But, you know, the same goes for that, you know. Some kind of meat in the middle. This holding back until November. I'm sorry to tell you. I don't think it's going to be better know November either. Um, so if you're hoping to see Black Widow in theaters in November. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you. I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, especially if there's nothing on the horizon until next year. At the earliest, best case scenario. Um, yeah. So uh, again, I, I say release it. Um, even on a rental, you know, situation where you'd have to pay 20 bucks every time you want to watch it until two weeks later, and then you can buy it for, you know, buy it for 50 bucks and then you really get your money's worth or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but, but, but holding fast to the traditionalist mindset when people are dying around the world, um, it seems like a really trivial thing to do.
2: I will go a step further and tell you that I think they should be worried about hacks or leaks. This is the kind of thing where a movie could very easily leak while it's just sitting there waiting for a release. It's happened before, plenty of times in the past, and then whatever money they hope to make off of a box office release uh, will simply not materialize because it's out there for everybody to see online anyways. Now, I'm not advocating piracy, don't get me wrong, but just historically speaking, it wouldn't be the first time a movie has either... Uh, leaked completely or has been hacked. Uh, there was, in fact, a Sony hack a few years ago, if I remember correctly. So if it's just sitting there in storage, that would be something I would be very worried about.
1: Absolutely. And why would you not want to get out in front of this and you control it? You control the market. You control the the dollar, the bottom line. So, I mean, you could, you could be in control of this. If you're a big corporation like Warner Brothers or Disney or Marvel Studios, I mean, like you control the bottom line with all of this. So um, I just feel like it's silly to sit here and play like everything's going to be okay in a couple of months. It doesn't look that way. Um, Yeah. So when we come back from this, our first break, we're going to have an exclusive interview with comic artist Luciano Vecchio. Um, So, yeah, stick around. ladies and gentlemen welcome to uh the nerd by word podcast we are here with comic book artist luciano vecchio um you may have seen his work in iron hearts um you may have seen his work on young justice um and also in his uh recently released in english um creator owned uh original graphic novel sereno which is fantastic and um you can you can find that on Comixology for just two ninety nine, and I highly recommend it. Uh, I've read it myself, and um, from my from my own perspective, I highly recommend that. So, Luciano, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Um, so, our first question is is what the entire world has been dealing with, Luciano. What has quarantine been like in Argentina?
0: Uh, it's been long. <laughs> it's been long. Um, <laughs> uh, personally, it's been a little rough at first. Um uh, I mean, we, here in Buenos Aires, in the capital city, is where the epicenter is. So the rest of the country is pretty much, uh, in a much better situation right now. Um, we started very early with the quarantine, so the, the numbers have been kept low and the, the, Death count uh, has been relatively low compared to other places, but um, the the result of that is that it's been very long and uh, it takes it toll, uh, personally and psychologically. <laughs> uh, but it, it's interesting. I mean, I I can't complain personally. I live by myself. I I have the material security. Um, to overcome it and I don't know survive interesting time
2: <laughs> so Luciano our very first episode that we did on our podcast we were talking about our nerd origin stories the things that we fell in love with that made us nerdy what are some of the first nerdy things that you fell in love with comics, movies, television what got you started on this this path in the comic book world
0: I think it was a combination of cartoons on TV, uh, comics, and
2: toys, probably,
0: like action figures. Um, I have an older brother, uh, like um, 11 years older than me, and he used to collect the, the Spanish translation of DC Comics uh, from early 80s. Uh, so I was already born in an environment that had comics around at home, and uh, those were like part of my imagination and playground even way before I learned how to read so mm-hmm. i i always uh drew comics and superheroes and uh i don't know the the, the first time i learned how to fold <laughs> yeah, some pieces of paper in the middle and start drawing my own Made-up comic books. That was part of my. I I must have been like around six years old when I did that, and never stopped. <laughs> so yeah, I I remember like some pre-crisis DC comics from the early eighties as the the very first that I read. Then a lot of merch that later I realized that it was uh, based on. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, the style guy. Um, I think that that's set the, like, the, the, the spirit of the, the style that keeps attracting me over the years. Like, iconic, um, wholesome, you know, like, inspiring, superheroics.
1: That's fantastic. Now, as far as, um, like being an artist, do you have particular artists that you kind of modeled your work after that you would say are great influences to your style or even wanting to become a comic book artist?
0: I think that there were some that were that strong influence where, when I was younger, when I was like in my uh, teens. Like, I don't know, George Perez, José Luis Lopez, Phil Jiménez. I, I, I wanted to be that kind of realistic um uh, artist but um when I started consuming manga and anime I started like com- combining the influences with um, I don't know the the expressivity the the simplicity and when when the Bruce Team cartoon shows came out I it was like a change of paradigm for me like oh did this can be done a whole different way and it's still uh, incredibly, uh, I don't know, uh, seductive. So I I started mixing stuff and so by now I I can't, I don't feel like I I can cite particular people but like, more like currents. Um, I I don't know, and sometimes, like I don't know, recently I have been studying more Chris Anka's style. Uh, because I, I, it's an artist I, I really like, and, and I will do this from time to time like uh, reconnect with someone's work and try to study how they, I don't know, construct figures or figure out how they, they do what they do and see what uh, resonates with
2: my style. Yeah, that's super interesting. So you, you kind of blended a lot of different artistic influences over time. Yeah. So as a member of the LGBTQ community, your work frequently features representation for this group. What does it mean to you to carry a banner, so to speak, for other individuals in that group worldwide?
0: I don't know if I think of it in, in those terms. I think uh, um, I do what is honest and sincere for me. and. I, and I I I can't not be visible and vocal and compromise with uh, the causes and and struggles of my collective. Uh, and I think it's inevitable. It it shows in in my work. Um, but also I try to keep it. I don't know, like that sincere fun. I I try. I struggle sometimes with this, um uh, but I think it's better when I don't take myself too seriously, you know? <laughs> but um I think the, the message is better uh communicated that way. Um but yeah for example when given the chance I was able to do this story in the Marvel Voices special. Um I knew I, I wanted to do that from a an activism standpoint. Uh, uh, It's something I I always wanted to see, like every queer superhero coming together because of their shared political identity as LGBTQ. Um, So yeah, when when I got the chance to to do it and they let me write it and draw it and color it, uh, that's like a highlight for me. And I hope I get to do more of that. I know.
1: Just speaking personally, um, I I know for myself, my son is is ten years old. He'll be eleven next month. But um, as a bi, as a biracial child, when when Miles Morales he first discovered like Miles Morales, and he saw someone that looked like him, that meant so much to him. And he also recently um, came out to me and my wife, um, and said that he was gay. And I remember reading what you said about um, Sereno specifically on, I believe it was like the Deviant Art page, that you never really had anybody that was kind of like you. So I'm really interested and, and excited to share Sereno with him, and and someone that you know that he can relate to. Um, he he also walks around barefoot all the time, so I know that he can relate to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i hope feel like it. That, that that means uh, that, that's very moving thank you <laughs>
1: yeah that, that, that um, now on the same note i i would be remiss if I didn't uh share that I am a huge x-men fan um and and the x-men and and mutants as a whole are largely seen as symbols for any group that has been discriminated against whether that be to to racist discrimination or discrimination against lgbtq community um, and, and, you know, recently getting online, especially Twitter and Instagram, I have found that a large portion of X-Men fans are also, uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Um, do you particularly have any favorite mutants that you love to work with? Because I see a lot of your art features mutants. Do you have any favorites?
0: Um, I, luckily, I think that because of what you mentioned, uh, a lot of the people that, as uh, commissions for me are mutant fans and X-Men fans, and they, they keep me busy with, uh, mutant characters to draw, which I love. Um, I don't know, I, aesthetically and thematically, I think some of my favorite are Storm and Nightcrawler. Uh, but I like, uh, what you mentioned is very true that, uh, the X-Men always represented uh, metaphorically the oppressive groups, but I like when the characters um, actually belong to those groups on page, uh, like Iceman, like uh, Sling. Yes. Uh, so, I don't know, I, I'm, for example, when the Iceman books were out, I, I used to think, well, I would love to to draw this book in particular. And I wasn't a nice man fan, but I I liked the, the theme and how it was approached. Uh, so I'm open to whatever character that is an X-Men and LGBTQ or or that puts on page uh, the actual struggle of of an oppressive group be, be beyond the metaphor, you know? Right. I, th- I think the we are at the moment in time it's it's, it's happening already that the, the stories uh, are more uh, based on on real life and the, we don't need the metaphor as much as we used to. So I that's what I like of newton characters at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think one of the most powerful panels that I've seen recently I think it was uh, the X-Men number 8 that uh, Jonathan Hickman did and I think Lino Francis Yu was the artist where uh, it was centered around Mystique and Destiny and and they were kind of giving her the runaround, and she breaks down and just says I want my wife back and it was so powerful
0: yeah and finally it's being said on page and and not just uh,
1: hinted around, suggested like, hinted around. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And so yeah Mystique is another one now <laughs>
2: Now you also frequently work with younger characters on on titles like Ironheart and Young Justice and even New Warriors. What's your favorite part of working with those kinds of characters that that skew more towards the teenage years?
0: Um, I think there's uh, a few aspects. Um, Aesthetically, I think my style uh, fits better for these kind of characters. I... I used to be told that my style was too cartoony or too young for for main super, mainstream superheroes. And I like that the, over the years, the, the, that those notions changed enough for me to, to be given a chance to, to work with them anyway. But I think it, uh, there is a quality of my work, especially because I combine this anime and manga influence um, and that makes me think when in manga and anime, we tend to see a lot of teenage protagonists. Uh, they, I don't know, they, they must be like the, the higher percentage of manga protagonists. Um, and I, it also takes me to my teenage years and, um, the idealism and the, the role, uh, strength and drama and all that I, I I think I still connect with that those feelings and I like um, making contact with that and producing a material that as we mentioned before that I would have loved to read at that age.
2: I don't know if that made any sense but it's uh... makes perfect sense yeah absolutely
1: no, it ab- absolutely does. I think that's, for me personally, um, my first, uh, n- one of my first nerdy things was Spider-Man and Peter Parker. And, you know, he was different in the 1960s. You know, it almost didn't get made because, you know, editorial said, you can't have a 16-year-old superhero. Like, no one wants to read about a kid or a teenager. And I think that's one of the strengths about you know Peter Parker as Spider-Man and now Miles as as Spider-Man is he's a teenager and he still has like all those optimistic views and and he's hopeful and he's and he's positive minded and he believes that he's doing the right thing and and I totally agree with with everything that you said.
0: Yes, and when I was younger I I also connected more with uh, characters like the Teen Titans and mm-hmm. even Robin when 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 I would see the the 60s Batman show uh, with Batman and Robin, I will connect with Robin. I Mm -hmm. wanted to be be him.
1: (laughs) Now, Luciano, you've become somewhat famous, especially online, for your character redesigns. Um, You'll take, like, for example, a character like Storm um, and the, the... the variety of costumes and suits that she's had through the years, and kind of do like this crazy mashup. Um, where did that idea come from? And and do you have a favorite, uh, a particular favorite redesign?
0: Um, I don't know. It's an exercise I like. I um, I think over the time I realized I like redesigning classic characters more than designing new ones because I I can I like doing this like uh, laying. Uh, every costume they wore, where they were in in their history, in front of me, and trying to pick the elements that make it iconic, that tell the story, and I don't know like synthesize to the minimum uh, elements that will still read as this character at their core. Um, so I, I really love doing that. Uh, uh, I don't know, I really like, uh, yeah, the, the Storm one I did is, is, it has been a hit. Um, I recently just randomly did a Phoenix one, but Miss Marvel Phoenix, uh, mashup, and I really like that one. Um, some, uh, a few years ago, I did a series of, uh, reimagining the new goals all the characters of the fourth world as a Saturday morning cartoon aesthetic. <laughs> uh, and th- th- those are really fun too. I uh, do you know. It's, it's not something I plan is uh, what I do in my free time. And sometimes I ca- I get to do it uh, in projects I'm working on, like with silhouette when she was introduced in, in Ironheart. Um, but yeah, it's, what I do for fun, and sometimes I get
2: to get paid for it. <laughs> well, you can definitely tell looking at some of those designs that you were having a lot of fun with that.
1: So so what is it like, Luciano, kind of working in Argentina especially with, with writers in the United States? What does that whole artist and writer dynamic look like when you're in a different country?
0: Um, well, it is Long distance, it's uh, mostly written, in my case. I mean, my spoken English, as you can notice, is not that good as uh, as I write and read. Um, But yeah, it depends on every collaboration. It's a different relationship that you build. But basically, the editors do most of the work, uh, assigning uh, me the script. Most of my career, I didn't even get much contact with the writers, uh, I just got to deliver the pages, but over the years, it's it's become more human and connected, uh, and that's nice, I, I prefer that. Um, but yeah, it, it changes all the time from, from assignment to assignment.
2: Now, you also recently released your creator-owned project, uh, Sereno. Sereno. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Uh, well, yes. Sereno is uh, the first long project that I wrote and, and did the art myself. Um, I did it first as a webcomic here in Argentina in, in Spanish. Uh, and it's the work uh, of over two years of producing one weekly page uh, aside of my my main workload. So th- this was what I was doing for fun and um, uh so it was exploring the superhero genre uh, through um uh through freedom through creating this queer superhero archetype that uh, as we mentioned I felt didn't exist when I was young um, I know I'm exploring uh, different themes that I was interesting uh, at the time, like mysticism and psychology, um, uh, and coded as superhero battles. Uh, so yeah, the, the, all that uh, converges in a comic about a superhero called Sereno, who is a, a warrior of light defending the city of Nueva Teia from the monsters and creatures that emerge when the sun sets, sets down. And, well, yeah, then... I, it was uh, released in Spanish uh, a little while ago. And now with the quarantine and all the extra time we have to stay at home and, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, focus your energy somewhere and um this was one of the pending things on my list that I wanted to do, that was getting it translated, corrected, and released in English for English readers, and I'm so happy to finally have been able to do that. Now,
1: having read Sereno, the first things that pop into my brain are, like, um, the neon colors. It's so stark. It stands out so much. I think, like, um, it's almost like a a tribute to, like, um, the movie Tron like super futuristic and stuff like that um also like the allegories to like mass media and mental health and and the matter of perception and how it can just like push you down those first those first couple of stories especially so where did you draw inspiration for all of this for sereno
0: um well from from everywhere uh like visually from i don't know uh I, I usually describe it as a mix of Batman Beyond and Sailor Moon, <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's like a magic boy archetype, like using the magic girl archetype on, on a queer boy. Um, but the, the world he inhabits is a uh, very technological, futuristic, and uh, has this, this strong aesthetic. Um, but thematically, uh, I don't know, well, uh, Grant Morrison's work and writing is a big influence. Um, I was reading Supergirls at the moment, so I, I was in the mindset of channeling an, uh, an archetype for our age, for, uh, I don't know, if Superman and Batman were the archetypes that emerged from the the late... 19 series uh what was the archetype i wanted to channel from my perspective in 2014 when i started so that that was like part of the mindset like and and once i had the hero like the, the villains started to appear as a as a, an answer to that to the uh and see so yeah, my own personal spiritual processes and uh, where are part of this and and those of people I know um, so it, it has some uh, very personal elements uh, personal uh, for me and for people I know um, so yeah I guess that's the the material the prime material that I use to create this
1: now, as you mentioned, this started as a webcomic in Argentina um, back in 2014, and the, the version that our, our listeners will find on Comixology is in English. Is there a way that we can access the original Spanish? You know, I, as a fluent Spanish speaker myself, I want it all. I want both. I want English and Spanish. So is, is there a place to find the Spanish version?
0: Yes, it is. Um, uh, it's all accessible for free in Spanish. We, we, it is, it was part of a collective called Totem Comics. So the webpage is uh, tottencomics.com.r a r, and there's a lot of material from many local authors doing superheroes through very personal perspectives, and I think you will find a lot of interesting stuff there.
1: So, I, I'll have to send my students there. I've been a Spanish teacher for 10 years, so that'll be an interesting way gr- uh, during, especially if we go to online teaching, I'll have to assign them comics to read uh, in, in Argentina.
2: Yeah, I would say uh, when you said Batman Beyond meets Sailor Moon, I think you uh, you got a lot of people interested just by saying that. That, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> that is such an interesting mashup. <laughs> now, <laughs> Are there any other projects that you have coming up that you can share with our audience?
0: Um, nothing I can really talk about right now. Um, but I don't know. Well, I'm a lot of things in the air right now. I think going back to your first question, uh, part of this period of quarantine and uh, I don't know, rethinking everything is, uh, for me, meant to. I, I don't, they take a step back and look at what I want to do, how I want to do it, and trying to reconnect with uh, some uh, more personal expressions that I, I didn't pay much attention for uh, too lately. Um, so that that's more like uh, something uh, like a working process. Uh, it's it's not nothing specific that I want, can share right now
1: <laughs> secrets secrets ladies and gentlemen um, Luciano we thank you so much for your time where can our listeners find you on social media
0: um, well all my social networks are Luciano Vecchio uh, uh, Instagram is Luciano Vecchio Art uh, and Twitter is just my name and Facebook too so if you Google Luciano Vecchio V E C C H I O, it's I show up.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for for this interview and and once again, ladies and gentlemen, Sereno you can find it on Comixology, just two ninety nine and you get like. What is it? It's equivalent of like ten issues of a comic book, something like that. It's it's so great. It's
0: so it is uh, hundred and something pages. Yes,
1: it's fantastic. Um, so I I was it's for as we talk about uh in America we talk about bang for your buck. So for two ninety nine, you get a hundred and fourteen pages of a comic. It's it's a fantastic value.
0: Well, thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much, and and stay safe, Luciano. You too. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, when we return from this, our second and final break, we will hit you with two more nerd commendations for another week. Ladies and gents, we're back here on the Nerd by Word with our final segment, Nerd Commendations, for yet another week. Dave, what do you have for us?
2: Oh, I have something special this time. I'm a nerd for many things. Uh, One of those things is scary movies. Uh, I'm particularly fond of the 1970s and 80s uh, horror movie period that gave rise to stuff like uh, Friday the 13th, Halloween, and A Nightmare on Elm Street. In 2010, a documentary was released that I just uh, recently finally had a chance to sit down and watch. Uh, It's called Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy. Uh, It chronicles the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and the rise of New Line Cinema. The documentary clocks in at a whopping 240 minutes, and every minute of this documentary is awesome. The movie features over 106 interviews, behind-the-scenes footage, storyboards, concept art, and narration is provided by the star of the original film, Heather Langenkamp. Since the movie was independently financed, there is absolutely no studio interference. Uh, every interview subject gets to be as candid as they want to be, which allows the documentary to paint a fuller picture of the making of these movies. And I think uh, for Freddy Krueger fans and horror fans in general, uh, this is a must-see documentary. Uh, obviously, I didn't watch it in one sitting at uh, four hours long. I just split it up between a couple of evenings, but it was absolutely worth the time investment Uh it's just some really fascinating stories behind the scenes of how some of these movies came together.
1: Okay, so this, this may have, uh, if we extended our Things We're Not Nerdy About uh, episode, I believe it was our third episode, um, th- this may have been one of the things that I'm not nerdy about. But horror films, I, at a very young age, I was kind of screwed up. Um, by watching the first Jurassic park film at four years old so uh, scary stuff has never really been on my to-do list um I, I've braved it a couple of times but um, yeah the first Jurassic park particularly that scene with the the Velociraptors um, where they're just waiting uh and I don't know if it was a cafeteria or something where like um, they're all hiding out from the Velociraptor so that screwed me up and you know, kind of have ptsd every time i see something is remotely scary but you win me over potentially with something with the word documentary that's that's uh you got me there with the documentary um i remember being like an introverted nerd in high school and watching um the history channel when it actually had actual history stuff on it and not when they had ice road truckers and uh swamp people and um rednecks are us um content back when it was actually the history channel and i would watch like you know entire series of, of you know documentaries and stuff like that um national geographic um so maybe from that aspect i can i can give this a look um but i i may need to uh, have all the lights on in the house um, i will
2: say that uh when it comes to the history channel you have to treat it the way you treat mtv if you want to see music videos, you need to go to MTV2. If you want to see history documentaries, you need to go to the History Channel International. <laughs> you can't actually watch the original channel. Ah, you're not going to go. get the content you're looking for there anymore. Yeah, so so Chris, what is your nerd <laughs> commendation?
1: Yeah, okay. So I, I, I'm going a little bit different here this week. I am recommending a video game that is by no means a AAA, gotta have it video game. But But hear me out here. I am recommending Power Rangers Battle for the Grid. Um, you can find this game on PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, Steam, and uh, Google Stadia. Um, $20, bucks, um, so not too expensive. It's also included in Xbox Game Pass, so if you're a subscriber to that service, as I believe both of us are, um, you can download that for free. Um For me, this was just a heavy dose of nostalgia. It's all the characters that you grew up loving if you watched Power Rangers back in the 90s. Um, The Green Ranger with that iconic outfit and that awesome flute. Um, It's a side-by-side fighting game a la Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter or Injustice. Um, It's a really simple format. As I said, it's by no means a AAA title, but it's just fun. Like, for example, my wife does not like video games she would much rather read novels she's nerdy about other things um she'll cosplay and 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 read books and and stuff like that but when it comes to video games but this is like the stamp of approval and she's like okay give me my controller i want to play so if i can win her over you know this is it's it's a it's a recommendation for me it's great for playing with friends especially kids um it's got like a really cheesy storyline um, in the story mode. Um, but that's, you know, uh, same things you would find in the episodes from when we were kids. Um, it has an online feature as well, but as you know, that's not my thing. I don't think it's your thing, Dave, uh, online gaming, but, um, but it's just really fun. And if I can be the black Ranger with that iconic Mastodon helmet, um, and, you know, the controls are relatively easy. It's pretty straightforward. Just one of those mash button type games. It was just fun to play. It is not this deep, um, intuitive type thing. Sometimes I just like the sensory things of cool things that I like. Don't overthink it. And, and this is one of those things. So Power Rangers Battle for the Grid is my nerd commendation for this week.
2: So I turned on my Xbox the other day, uh, again, for the first time in a while since I've been playing on my PlayStation 4 Horizon Zero Dawn. And I realized I got something like 490 games installed on that machine. Which is really scary. So I've not actually played Power Rangers Battle for the Grid yet, although it's on Xbox Game Pass. But it does sound really good. I love a good fighting game. Back in the day, I loved playing Street Fighter on my Super Nintendo. Um, So I looked up some reviews... And they all seem to indicate that the the gameplay is really solid, it's a lot of fun, but there was some griping about content, uh, particularly that nine characters were added later via DLC, uh, and so they felt that there weren't enough characters accessible on the ground level of the game. Do you agree with that assessment?
1: Oh yeah, like I said, it's very minimalistic, but um, as I would think of like if you had something you want your kids to play with you, or if you have... Uh, nieces and nephews or family over if you're having like a, a Halloween party or a Christmas party and you had a bunch of young kids over it's something that you could throw up on the screen and you wouldn't have to worry about you know a bunch of gore like you would with Mortal Kombat or stuff like that um, now I will say here's a here's a bonus this is a two-for-one special nerd commendation I also just purchased for on sale um, the Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Edition. So you say Street Fighter, that's music to my ears as well. So they had a Capcom publisher sale on the Microsoft um, Store, the Microsoft Digital Store, which we have advocated time and again. Um, but I got the the Street Fighter, like, 30th anniversary edition, and it comes with, like, every version of Street Fighter that was available on those retro consoles that we love. The original 87 version, Street Fighter II, which is one of the first video games I ever played on the SNES, um you know, the, the, the turbo version, all of those, and you can play like, there's like eight different versions. So the street fighter um, 30th anniversary edition on the Xbox as well. Definitely check that one out. But yeah, I, I would totally agree with that assessment. It's very minimalistic, but as I said, it's fun. Um, it is what it is. I'm not there for a deep dive storyline. Um, I'll go to red dead redemption too for that. I will go to Assassin's Creed for that. As long as they sort that crap out at Ubisoft. Um, I will go to, you know, a- another, you know, insert title for that. But, um, it- it's just button mashing fun.
2: Well, it sounds awesome. I'm definitely going to have to give that a try after I finish Horizon Zero Dawn.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up another episode of the Nerd Byword podcast. We thank you so much for joining us, um, this week. Um, if you like the show and you want to hear some more, please find us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Give us a rate and review. Give us those five stars. Um, you can also find us on social media, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, at Nerd by Word. You can also find us on Facebook, at The Nerd by Word. And we look forward to bringing you future content. If you enjoyed today's interview, I'll tell you, we've got some great ones lined up here in the weeks to come as well.
2: Yeah, some really exciting stuff in the pipeline for the uh, Nerd Byword podcast. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in yet again. We uh, truly appreciate you.
1: Also, this is a recent development. If you you enjoy what you're listening to week in and week out, if you would do us a favor and go to ratethispodcast.com rate this podcast.com slash nerd by word um, and it, it, it is like a centralized location on where you can submit reviews and ratings on there so again that is rate this slash nerd by word we would greatly appreciate any and all feedback uh we know our buddy uh the tech lord at lex pendragon here you get a shout out buddy um he he called this out on on star girl and and uh any and all commentary we want to be able to defend our positions as well so anything that that you have to say about the show um anything that you want to see going forward ideas for future episodes we want to hear from you our audience so so thanks again for for another week and and uh stay well guys and stay nerdy
2: The Nerd By Word is produced by two nerds, Chris and Dave, to encompass all aspects of the nerd multiverse. The theme music was written by Al Jimenez. Our show art features original art by Ash Design, as well as public domain comic pens. Find us online at nerdbyword.com, on Twitter at nerdbyword, and send questions and comments to nerdbyword at gmail.com.